you're familiar with the musical masterpieces of Johann Sebastian Bach, you may know this piece of trivia, that he would write on his manuscripts his initial, these initials, S-D-G, at the bottom of all those works. These three letters would stand for the Latin words sole deo gloria, which means glory to God alone. But what most people don't know is what Bach would put at the top of his manuscripts. He would write these Latin words. He would write Jesu Juva, which is Latin for Jesus' help. Think about that, that in between Jesus' help and glory to God alone was Bach's masterpiece. Maybe look at it this way. In between Jesus' help and glory to God was St. Matthew's Passion or the Brandenburg Concertos or the Cello Suites. But what if Bach at the very end, we wrote Jesus' help, masterpiece, and what if at the bottom we saw these words, I did it or glory to me. How foolish and irresponsible to go Jesus' help, masterpiece, and glory to me. To move from sole deo gloria to ego adepto glory, which means glory to myself, bring glory to me. What we would call that, that I really want us to focus on today, is the words, is the phrase stolen praise. I believe God is composing a script for his last day's church that will be a masterpiece. And it is going to end, and it will end with glory to God alone. God is positioning, I believe, his church, his bride worldwide for something powerful to happen, a worldwide revival. And our prayer needs to be these days, Jesus help. And then as we are praying that phrase, I believe God is gonna begin to work his masterpiece. And then we will all shout, all glory to God, glory to God alone. But nothing is worse than what I believe is stolen praise, congratulating ourselves for something God has done. I love what Deal Moody said, making sure God gets the glory. He said these words. He said, I'm so glad we are not saved by our good works because I couldn't, I don't want to sit in heaven listening to people brag about how they got there. When we get to heaven, it's going to be glory to God alone. Anything less than that is stolen praise with what God is getting ready to do in the next few years on this planet through his church through his people I want you to see how critical I believe the book of Deuteronomy is going into this new season some of you are just going Deuteronomy see the book of Deuteronomy was an important book in the life of the children of Israel and I believe it has huge implications for where we are as a church because Deuteronomy was their instructional manual for their new journey. See, the book of Numbers leaves us camped at the Jordan with the children of Israel waiting to go into their future, to go into their promised land, to go into God's incredible blessing that he has for their lives. Deuteronomy, in a sense, was God's playbook for a new way of life that was coming to them. As God provides, fights battles for you, performs miracles and goes before you, Moses is about to let them know, remember that he gets the glory alone. Let, let's just pause for a moment because I want to just mention what is the glory of God? Glory to God alone. When you hear that phrase, what is it? I think we can define it from Moses' prayer 
when he asks to see the glory of God. Listen to what Moses prays on this journey that brings him all the way to Deuteronomy. Exodus 33, 18, Moses says, I pray you, he's talking to God, show me your glory. Uh, we, we, we have heard those phrases before. We sang, there's a song that calls, show me your glory. And listen to what God says. I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. Did you get that? That it seems that the goodness of God is the glory of God. God's greatest glory is that he is good. When God does good, God is being glorified. See, the name Deuteronomy, when Moses begins to speak about this, actually means second law or law repeated. It really, Deuteronomy is really God saying, like a parent, what he always said. He's just, in a sense, he's repeating himself, not because God is unclear, but because the children of Israel for these 40 years have been unresponsive most of the time. And I believe, in a sense, speaking to the future and what I see ahead, this book is so important to us because there is a new journey ahead for the church. The journey is not simply getting back into a building. That hasn't been the journey. It's not a year journey going, uh, we've been out of the church and now we're making a journey in. And you're gonna see this. But I believe that the church, the body of Christ, is about to see a change take place in the next years. I do believe, and you've heard us talk about this, that there is a persecution that's inevitable. That Bible preaching pulpits will be labeled as divisive and hate speech and shut down. You're already seeing that take place on social media. With these, this phrase that's being used as they're pulling Bible teachers or Bible preachers off, they're saying it doesn't reflect, here's what it's been saying, our community values on these social media platforms. But regardless of what man does, I believe there are glorious things ahead. God is going to get the glory. And I believe that the instruction of Moses is good instruction for us today in going forward. Let me just give you a little bit of a background before we jump into this. Moses is 120 years old. He is coming to the end of his life. And he summarizes in this book the past 40 years from Exodus and Numbers and really starts to give the divine viewpoint, not the human viewpoint. You can see that. I mean, if you were to compare Numbers 13 and 14 on the spying out the land and then read how God saw it in Deuteronomy 1, you could see the human viewpoint versus God's viewpoint of this. Moses was the writer, but I want to be emphasize this. God is the author. You know what's cr- incredible is that in the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch, 500 times it says these words, the Lord spoke or God said, that should really begin to to, to pique our interest and go, God has something to say. See, the book itself as a timeline was probably written in maybe just about seven days. And they were just a month away from crossing the Jordan into the promised land and the start of the book of Joshua of conquest. And one other note, our heart should beat a little bit faster as we speak about the book of Deuteronomy. It was a favorite that Jesus loved to quote. In fact, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy um, against the devil in the wilderness. When Jesus says, it is written to Satan four time, three times in Matthew chapter four, the written part, the it is written, comes from the book of Deuteronomy. And I believe this is a battle book against the enemy for the people of God. And I believe this is a manual for a new journey for the people of God. In the first four books of the Bible, God is choosing Israel. But now the challenge is coming in Deuteronomy is God asking, I want you to choose me. So here is the challenge 
not only from a 120-year-old man of God, but a challenge I believe I need to hear, we need to hear as we're preparing for what's ahead. It will prepare us so that we can end with this, glory to God alone. Here's what Moses says, starting in Deuteronomy 8, verse 7, as he begins to challenge them for the new journey. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains, springs, flowing from valleys and hills, land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity in which you will not lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, out of hills you can dig copper. And then he says this, when you've eaten and you're satisfied, when you see the blessing of God, I want you to bless the Lord your God for the land which he has given to you. Or Deuteronomy uh, 8.10 says it in the New International Version. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Let, let, let me just pause here for a second of why blessing God, praising God is so key. We, see, when we sing and we're led at the beginning of, of, these, of, of these streams, uh, service streams with Freddie and the worship team, or at the end when Greg Thomas comes up with the TSC choir. This is not us watching and observing, but this is our moment to bless the Lord because God is good and God is worthy. That's why I want to challenge you in your homes, wherever you're watching, unashamedly to lift your hands, to sing the songs. I, I don't care if you're watching wearing a suit or, or workout clothes or your pajamas. We bless the Lord for he has done good things not because we're in a building or in a sanctuary, but because we're in the presence of God. See, I believe praise, stay with me now, without a sanctuary has been revealing something about us, about his church, about the church today. What is it revealing, Pastor Tim? It's revealing our praise is for who or our praise is for what. It's revealing if, our praise is for someone or for something. See, the who is, God is my focus. Or if it's the what, then I have to be in a certain environment, in a certain seat, listening to certain people lead us in worship. See, this is the moment that God's going, if I pull all those props out, let's see if we're worshiping him or we're beginning to say, I need a, an environment to begin to worship. See, why we are commanded to bless the Lord this is what's so important, because if you don't bless, you forget. That's what Moses is saying. Listen to the rest when he goes on. Beware, first when he ends with, praise the Lord for the good things, bless the Lord for the good things, verse 10. Verse 11 says, and beware that you don't forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and your gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget, you will forget the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint in the wilderness. He fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good for you in the end. When you don't praise, that's verse 10. Then you end up going into verse 11. Then you forget 
all that God has done. We, we live in a nation that has stopped acknowledging God, blessing God for what he has done, for what he has accomplished, even in our country. His removal out of the schools and out of the government is the removal, not just simply from a building or from a classroom, it's the removal from the minds and hearts of the next generation that's coming up and, and on who it all comes from. And then something diabolical begins to move in very closely and really becomes deception. See, we put at the bottom of the Bach masterpiece, I did this. Our country is putting at the bottom of our of the masterpiece, science did this, or the government did this, or politicians, or the Democrats, the Republicans, or education did this, and nothing could be further from the truth. It really is an SDG, all glory to God alone. Not education, not a political party, not a government, not a scientist. God is responsible. God is good, and God must be blessed and praised. In 1970, the Apollo 13 mission was almost a catastrophe. Tom Hanks and Ron Howard did an amazing movie called Apollo 13 about the catastrophe, this, this catastrophe. The president of the United States that wasn't shown in the movie came on the TV and asked a nation to pray for the safe return of these astronauts. His name was Richard Nixon. And this is what happened. You saw it. If you saw the movie, the capsule landed in the Pacific Ocean, was put on an aircraft carrier, and when the astronauts were safely aboard the carrier, the president, who asked the people to pray, then praised American space technology for the return of our astronauts. He asked for prayer and then didn't even recognize or bless God. He asked us to pray, and when God answered, he praised human skill, human ingenuity, and human technology. It, it, it's, it's amazing to me that just a few years later that something else took place, which was called Watergate, and a president had to resign even in disgrace. God will get the glory for what he's done. When you don't bless God for what he has done, you forget God. And then here's the part that we're gonna be dealing with in a few moments. Then we teeter on a catastrophic deception. Let me remind you of this path. Stay with me. Bless God. The lesson of the journey is this. We bless God. That's Deuteronomy 8.10. If you don't, you will forget God is what, is what he says. And if you forget God, then here comes the catastrophic deception. Then you end up, here it comes, praising yourself, which becomes that stolen praise. That's the part that what takes place after the Apollo 13, that's the part that begins to happen that, that we're told about in Deuteronomy 8, that if we find ourselves not praising him and then forgetting him, we end up worshiping the wrong thing. I, I, want, us to, I want to get us ready as a church, as the church, for what is ahead in the future. And I think this is a challenge for all of us. Number one, I think what we're learning is we need a renewal of praise and worship in the church today. We need a renewal of praise and worship in the church today. We need to renew our focus on who, not what is around us. The church today knows how to sing, but it's lost worship and praise. We know how to sing songs. We know how to read a screen, but a song that just simply comes from the heart that acknowledges how great God is. I, I think singing and worship are two different things. Singing is what we do. Worship is who we do it for. And what's dangerous is, is to watch 
A church service today, the focus is easily can be on a stage, a song, the lights, the screen. The people watch from their seats. They spectate from their seats. They sing, but not worship. They observe a service. Listen, they observe a service, but fail to be in awe of God. It's hard to be in awe with coffee in your hand. It's hard to be in awe with hands in the pocket. Annie Dillard, the writer, says something so profound. Listen to these words. Does anyone have the foggiest idea? She's, she's speaking to the modern day church. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we invoke when we begin to worship? Or does no one believe a word of it, of the words and the songs, the lyrics that we sing? The churches, she says this, the chilled churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT every time we walk into a worship service. And then she says this, it's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should strap us to our pews. And then she says this, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense and draw us out to a place where we can never return back to. Hallelujah. You, you lose worship when you forget God is, God is the one that's, that's doing the good things in our life, that God is the one that is amazing. You know what praise is? Praise is being occupied with who God is. This is what Moses is challenging us on this new journey. He's challenging us that we need to, that we need a renewal of praise again, being preoccupied with God, not being preoccupied who's leading in worship, not being preoccupied going, I'd rather have this person lead us or this person play a guitar or this person play a piano or I'd rather not sing that song. We get so preoccupied on the peripherals that we forget that we are, we have to be, have to be renewed again on who and not the what. Praise is literally focalizing compliments to God of who he is. That's what it is. This is what Peter says when he, when he challenges the church in 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. Why? That you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I want to just say this. Praise is not praise until it is vocalized, until our words. In other words, it's impossible to praise with a mouth shut. It's impossible to praise to sit in a chair watching a screen or sitting in a pew at a church or a, a seat at the church and just staring and viewing. That's not praise. It, we, we might be meditating, we might be worshiping, sleeping, even praying, but not praising. Something I've learned over my years, it's this. Two things. It's hard to gossip about people that you pray for and it's hard to be ungrateful when you're praising God. Let me say that again. It's hard to gossip about people that I pray for. And it's also hard to be ungrateful when my hands are lifted and I'm praising God. People who don't praise can easily become ungrateful and even forgetful. And let me just say this. Truth be told, God has done so much for me. I have to say this. He doesn't have to do one more thing and he's still worthy of praise. He's still worthy. It doesn't matter if there's, if there's instruments. It doesn't matter if anybody plays anything. It's like that, that Andre Crouch song that the church sings. For he has done great things. He will do great things. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's within me. See, he is worthy to be praised means he doesn't have to do anything else to deserve our praise. Listen to Psalm 18.3. Call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I'm saved from my enemies. So that means if he's worthy, 
and doesn't have to do anything else to deserve our praise. And we can praise him even when it seems things are going wrong or bad or things seem to be turning against us. I praise God because he's good even when things don't even seem good. Remember, remember what Habakkuk says in his, in his not so good times about praise? Listen to these words. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the field of the olive should fail and the field produce no food, Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, here it comes, yet I will exalt the Lord and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He says, the Lord God is my strength. He's made my feet like hinds feet, makes me walk on high places. This is what's amazing about this. What blows me away is that he gives two, he gives an entire verse of things that have just gone, have gone south on him. But it doesn't stop the worship coming from his, from his mouth. I, I, I want to give you probably the greatest test to know if your praise, and this is for renewal of praise and worship in the church, the greatest test to know if praise is focused on who, God, or what, to have the environment and all the right things in place. My favorite worship leader, this organ or this, this genre of songs. Here's the greatest test to know. Some years ago, I was reading about the first century markets from a customs and manners book about the first century of the New Testament in the New Testament. And they said this is amazing that one of the ways to find out if the pottery you were buying was real, authentic, and had longevity, if it was going to last. Because if it was cheap, it, w- it would break, uh, just, just it would be so fragile, it would break. They said, if you wanted to know if the pottery was real, authentic, and would last. They said there was a test that would come by flicking your finger and they would say these words. You ready for this? This is so good. He says, if you hit it, it will sing. If you hit it, it will sing. It means it's real, it's authentic, and it's going to last. And I'm here to tell you today, You can hit the children of God. You can come against us. You can hit the finances. You can close the churches. You can hit us. But I'm telling you, we're still going to sing hallelujah. That's the real, authentic, long-lasting, eternal child of God. They can sing without music. They can sing without a sanctuary. They can sing without a choir. If you hit them, they will sing. Praise God. He sings to God because he has done great things. Oh, God, renew praise and worship in your church again as we start this journey. The second thing is this, that Moses warns against on this new journey. Loss of praise is a loss, means that there's a loss of memory. See, praise is lost when we fail to remember what God has done, what God is doing, and in a sense, what God will do. Listen to it in, in, as, as I connect to 10 and 11 of Deuteronomy 8. When you have eaten and are satisfied, Bless the Lord for the good land, for the good things he has done. And it says in verse 11, he says, but beware that you don't forget the Lord, your God. Even David in the Psalms says, if you have trouble remembering some of the reasons why, if your memory, if you had a memory loss, some amnesia, something comes in, he says, let me help you. This is what David says. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Forget none of his benefits. And now here it comes. This is the Psalm 103 list. When he says, bless the Lord, forget none of his benefits. This is God's benefit package. Here it is for the child of God. It goes like this. Who pardons all your iniquities. 
heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Think of those words again. He pardons, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, he satisfies, hallelujah, he renews. I like the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message. It kind of has a little punch to it. Listen, oh my soul, bless God. Don't forget a single blessing. He forgives your sins. I love he puts this in here. Every one of them. He heals your diseases. Everyone redeems you from hell and saves your life. Crowns you with love and mercy, a paradise crown. He says, he wraps you in goodness. He renews your youth that you're young in his presence. And I love this part. God makes everything come out right. He puts victims back on their feet. You need something to praise him about? Then go to Psalm 103. If, you, if you're trying to think, hey, how can I renew praise? How can I re- renew my memory so I have something to praise him about? That's why he says in Deuteronomy 11, beware that you don't forget those Psalm 103 benefit packages. Let, let me, I want to throw just a side note on here just for a second. Because there was a king in the Old Testament named Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26 who forgot to put SDG. He had memory loss that SDG, glory to God alone, at the end of his life. He becomes king at 16, reigned 52 years. But at some point of this journey, as God was working a masterpiece, using this young man who did right in the sight of the Lord, you could read it, verses four and five of 26. And he said he continued to seek God. He said, and as long as he sought the Lord, God would begin to prosper him. God was building a masterpiece, using this young man, this young teenager, We could read about his life and his victories, his his successes. And then this verse comes in like a sledgehammer. It it, it just, it's the, the SDG, glory to God alone, begins to fall apart. Listen to this. He's right in the height of invention, creativity, victories. And it says in Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers, on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Talking about his army. And then it says this, hence, His fame spread afar. And then these words just came like a bolt of lightning. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. Wow. Marvelously helped until he was strong. Which means when he started to think it was him, he started to begin to go downward. His own pride. In fact, when you start to read it, it says in the very next verse, when he became strong, his heart became proud and corrupt, and eventually began to go into places that he wasn't supposed to be that were reserved for the priests, gets struck with leprosy. And verse 21 of the last last part of the story says, he dies a leper living in a house all by himself. I wanted to shout to Uzziah as, as a young man. I wanted to shout the words of the great 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon, when he says, be not proud of race or face or place. It's all grace. A few years ago, I heard a Philadelphia pastor who was talking about seeing a statue of the Virgin Mary outside of a Catholic church in Florence, Italy. And every day he watched a woman that would go and bow before that statue. He said the visiting priest noted her devotion and he was informed that the woman that would bow before the statue, listen to this, this woman who'd come every day in Florence, Italy, bow before the statue of the Virgin Mary was the model for the sculpture. 
The woman was bowing. She was kneeling before herself. That's the essence of sin. It's the insanity of sin. When men and women bow before themselves, that's really what you end up with stolen praise, which is really number three. Stolen praise is the result of forgetting God. Those that don't praise God will forget God and then they will praise themselves. When you don't praise God, the, the, the downward slide ends up, you start praising yourself. Listen, listen to what he says in Deuteronomy chapter eight. This is how Moses begins to end. He says, he says, after all these things, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand gave me all this, made this wealth for me. When we praise, we remember that this is God and it's not me. I, I, I personally believe that over this last year, God has shut things down in his church around this country and around the world. Stay with me now. Pastor Carter, our general overseer, and I were talking about this, and I said these words to him because God just began to echo it in my heart. I believe God has shut things down for the last year because God is repoing his church back to himself. He's repossessing his church again. It has been taken from him. The spotlight has been put in the wrong places from, from, from celebrities into music. And we've praised systems and songs. But I think God's going, it's time for, for you to praise me and realize it's not your wealth, your resources. That the great deception that God was, that was facing the church is that thinking our music, our leadership, our books, our creativity, our resources, our campuses. Let me just let you know something. It's all God. And God is wanting to renew worship and praise in his church again. He's wanting to remind us again that, that we don't have amnesia, that we go, this is from God. Because when we lose sight and lose memory of what he's done, when we forget what he's done, then we lose praise in the house. Occasionally, God will put me in the, in the way of some high-capacity people, but sometimes businessmen, sometimes athletes. And stolen praise is a big issue that I've, even, that I've tried my best to speak to. I will hear this. I've worked hard to achieve this. I've studied long and I've studied hard to start my business. My, I've sacrificed so much to see this company go forward. My career in the NFL or MLB is because I got a lucky break and I hit well, threw well. My response is you, this is you. Sounds like Moses warning. Don't, don't say my power and my wealth did this. And there are moments that I have to speak up and say, who gave you the eyes to see a blackboard or a whiteboard in your university? Who gave you air to breathe that you didn't create? You didn't speak into existence. Who put a breath? Who put a lung inside of you so you can breathe that air? Who gave you the health to go forward, to hit a ball, sink a putt, or even build a company? I, I don't know about you, but I know who it is. And it ends with SDG. All glory to God alone. That's where it comes from. Even the Apostle Paul, as on his, on his missionary journey, had to deal with the issue with the smartest people on the planet, or they thought they were the smartest people, with the Athenians in Greece. And Paul finally said to him, in him we live, in him we move, and in him we have our being. Whenever I feel pride rising up in me, my power, my wealth did this, I think of the amazing quote by the old Puritan writer, William Jenkins, who said this, our father was Adam, our grandfather was dust, and our great-grandfather is nothing. Boy, that will put you right back in place. Boy, does that keep things 
in my life perspective. Even Moses had to tell the children of Israel the same thing in the next chapter in Deuteronomy chapter 9. In, in 9.4, he says, don't say in your heart when the Lord has given, has driven out the enemy before you because of my righteousness, the Lord brought me in to possess the land. That's stolen praise. I have to even tell them. I'd love to say to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 8 and 9, your father was Adam, your great your grandfather was dust, and your great-grandfather is nothing. God did it all. And God is still doing everything. SDG, all glory to God alone. You want to see God work a masterpiece in your life? You want to see God do something in you, student? If you're watching from a university campus, maybe taking summer classes, you're a businessman listening on a bus or a subway from, from London right here in New York City, I want you to start like Bach, Jesus help. Jesus help, Jesus I need you. Let me tell you how God does it. He changes us from the inside out and that new relationship, that Jesus help is called being born again. It's Jesus help masterpiece. Glory to God alone. Let me say that again. Jesus help. He works his masterpiece. Glory to God alone. One more time. Jesus help his masterpiece. That's what it talks about in in Ephesians chapter 2 when we're saved by the grace of God that he works his masterpiece. He writes it. We become his workmanship, his masterpiece. Then we give all glory to God alone. How does this happen? When you start with Jesus' help, it really is Jesus taking over. That's what born again actually means. That's the question today. It's the most important question I can ask you today. Is have you been born again? Have, have you started that? The Jesus' help is really the better question is have you been born again? I didn't ask if you've been water baptized, if you go to church, if you're a good person, if you took communion or if you were christened. All those are good things, but that's not what the question is. Because Jesus said in John 3, 3, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. That kingdom of heaven for eternity and the kingdom of heaven right now. The masterpiece for your life right now and the masterpiece, the place he's gone to prepare for us in heaven. In fact, Jesus even says in John 3, 5, you must be born again. Not giving even an option. He says, don't make an option. What, is, what God says is a necessity. Okay, Pastor Tim, how do I become born again? I want to make it as simple as I can because the Jesus help today that you cry out to him, I believe is going to start an amazing work of God inside of you. It's as simple, we'll say every single week, it's as simple as ABC. Each of those letters correspond to such an important word. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner. It's when I get honest with God that all of us have a condition called sin and we can't fix it on our own and we and we there's it can't be fixed with our promise or going us going into a program or a priest or a pastor you know what happens when we when we begin to do that then we say it was my wealth it was my ingenuity it was my creativity it was my education that got me out of that you can't fix sin with an education with a program you can't fix it even with your promise we need help to fix it i'm broken you're broken on the inside and the diagnosis is sin As one pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We don't need a second chance. We need a second birth. And how does that happen, Pastor Tim? That's the B word, believe. Believe that God sent his son to fix that sinful condition. It's out of our hands. That's why we have to finish today with an SDG. All glory to God alone. 
Only he can fix it. I can't fix myself. If we could fix ourselves, then why would God have had to send his son 2,000 years ago to die that cruel death on the cross? If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus never would have had to come to this planet. But Jesus did come. Jesus did come to heal, to forgive, and to fix, to create a masterpiece, a workmanship. Jesus' death was him becoming my sin bearer. He died the death that I should have died. He lived the life that I couldn't live. And then he gave me a reward, heaven and forgiveness that I didn't even deserve. And finally, he says, if you, if you mean today, Jesus help, like Bach puts at the top of the page, and that's what we're going to do today, put at the top of the page of all of our lives, Jesus help. And this is where it goes. It means confessing Jesus as Lord. That's, the, that's a big one. It's basically saying this, you're in charge of my life now. You're the one who controls it. I'm I'm giving my life to you, not so you get one day a week or you get a couple hours on Sunday a week. That's not what lordship is. God didn't send his son Jesus to die on a cross to get you to sit in front of a TV or to sit in a building or to sit in a sanctuary for an hour or two every week. That wasn't his goal. His goal wasn't simply to get you to church on a Sunday. His goal was to get you to heaven. His goal was to create a masterpiece. His goal was to forgive, not make you religious. Coming to church, putting in a building, that's religion. Being born again, that's the relationship. Religion wants one day a week. Relationship wants every day of the week. So when you say you are boss, you are Lord, Romans 10, 9, and 10, it's Jesus saying this, just as you had a first birth physically, we need a second birth spiritually. That's what born again is. That's the Jesus help. So your first birth may have been in a hospital physically, but now today could be your second birth spiritually. And that can happen right now. You have to start with Jesus' help. You have to start with born again. And today could be the beginning of God painting that masterpiece, composing that masterpiece, of beginning to set you on a journey, not just right here, but set you on a journey for eternity. I want to encourage you wherever you're at today, whoever you are, I don't care if you have a penthouse in New York City. I don't care if you live in the worst part of Kenya or, or down in Central and South America. It doesn't matter how much money you make or how many people begin to shout your name at a stadium. It doesn't matter. We are all sinners in need of God. That our life has to have at the top, Jesus help. It has to, that gives him the opportunity to perform the masterpiece. And then we say at the very end, all glory to God alone. If you're here, if you're listening right now and say, Pastor Tim, I want to start that journey. I want to pray that Jesus help prayer, that born again prayer. If that's where you're at right now, I want you wherever you are. I want you to say these words with me out loud. I want you to begin a journey today, a journey with God today, a journey just as that, that this would be the beginning of the top of your paper so that God can begin to start his masterpiece and compose an incredible, an incredible start for you starting today. You can't have a masterpiece. You can't have it without God being at the top of your life. And when you begin to be born again and start that journey, you're saying, God, you're in charge now. And wherever you're at, maybe it's a husband and a wife, a whole family together. Maybe you're in elementary school or high school. Today, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Come on, let's say it together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead 
to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, here comes the praise part. God is my Father. Say it with me. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.